And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the uh, morning, last week of June edition, I should say, of The Real Investment Show as we get into the end of the month, end of the quarter, portfolio rebalancing coming up. Across, uh, really, that's on deck this week. And of course, the big question is, is after a six and a half percent gain in the markets last week, well, can we kind of keep it going this week? That's the that's the big question, right? And that's kind of an interesting point, because if we look back to the beginning of this year, we've seen several weeks like we saw last week with uh, last week with very big advances. In fact, we saw that back here just in May, had a very big advance in the markets very quickly, three days, very sharp rise. Unfortunately, market wasn't able to hang on to that. We saw it again back in March, had a very big advance in the market. We were up about 11% in the month of, of March, unable to hold on to that. Saw that again you know, right after the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. Markets were up very sharply, had a 3% advance in a single day. Markets are rallying today, and we'll see if we can hold on to it. But again, as I was saying, bear markets continue to really kind of be the norm of this year. And of course, this is now training investors to try to sell every rally. Again, at one point here, though, rallies are going to hold on, and that's going to be the question. Now, this week, as I was about to say, this week, we've got portfolio rebalancing. Now, currently, there is a fairly large imbalance of equities on the books of uh, portfolio managers, fund managers, hedge funds, etc. Um, now, they're going to go into the end-of-the-month reporting, and that's coming up very good at the end of this month, and we have what's called window dressing. So this is where all these portfolio managers need to get their books back in balance. So they've got, if you're a 60-40 allocation, 80-20, 70-30, whatever, and you're currently running 50% equities, well, they're going to buy equities to bring those balances back up, make sure they've got all the right stocks in their books. So when those quarterly reports go out and you get your report, it says, oh, yeah, here's the 60-40 allocation, 70-30, 80-20, and you own all these stocks, right? That's what it's going to look like. Now, it doesn't mean they won't sell it completely at, right after that as we get into July. But from a seasonality basis, July tends to be a fairly decent month in the middle of summer. So, you know, there's a, there's a couple of things here as we start getting a turn up now on some of these more kind of short term technical indicators, the moving uh, the moving average convergence divergence the MACD you hear about this a lot that's turning positive our money flow indicators are turning positive from a fairly fairly low level um, oversold conditions are turning up as well starting to get a little bit of uh, a bullish uh, tick uh, to some of these more oversold conditions of the markets all suggesting that this rally could have a bit more leg this week and we might see a, a bit more of an advance so you know, one thing we'll be kind of looking for this morning is seeing if, if the rally can, you know, continue this push and try to cut some, you know, cut some of these June losses down. You know, we saw that back in May. Um, in May, we had a terrible month going. We were all talking about, oh, terrible month of May, one of the worst months. And then literally the last week of May, markets rallied back, wiped out almost all the losses of May. That's going to kind of be the, the question this week is, can June do the same thing? Can we get this rally into the end of the month as we start seeing, you know, this, um, 
you know, kind of pushed rebalanced portfolios, you know, a reversal of these June losses. Now, this is this is where it gets frustrating for a lot of individuals. And, you know, if you're if you're trying to short the market and you're, you know, kind of on the short side of the market, these rallies are very frustrating because it, it tends to kind of suck you back in. If you've kind of been hoping for a bull market rally, well, here it is. But the problem has been on the other side of this has been unsustainable. Right. And these rallies turn back into losses. Sellers come into markets. Now, I don't think that's changed um, at this point. There's still a lot of uncertainty about the markets here. The Fed is, you know, just starting to really taper their balance sheet. They, they're in the midst of their rate hiking cycle. And again, there's a lot of what we call trapped longs. And this is people that have been long the market and now they're just looking for a way to get out. So, you know, when we have this rally of some sort, that'll be the point where they're like, OK, I'm out. And, and that's why the selling continues to show up. And I don't think we're done with that yet. But doesn't mean we can't have a fairly substantial kind of bull market rally. And I'll tell you why that would actually be kind of a good thing. There's too much bearishness in the market. There's too many people, you know, certain. And I was doing a having a conversation with Charles Payne on Thursday talking about this very thing on Fox Business. And he was like, well, you know, it's inevitable. Right. That, you know, that's, the, you know, all the headlines are recessions and inevitable and, you know, it's inevitable. We're going to have a recession and the downturns inevitable. And look, there's nothing inevitable in markets or the economy or everywhere else. But one thing that is interesting is that when people are convinced in, in a broad swath of, you know, media and economists and analysts, et cetera, are, are convinced that something's going to happen, uh, something else tends to be the case. Now, I'm not saying that we're not going to have a recession because it's inevitable. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, you know, I'm not saying we're not going to have a recession, but if we had a recession today, you know, if the National Bureau of Economic Research came out today and said, hey, we're in a recession, this would be the most well-forecasted recession ever in history. And that's just the way that things are. So what we kind of need here is a very strong bull rally that gets people convinced that the bear market risk is over, the recession risk is over, and and and, and the, the Fed engineered a soft landing. That's, that's what we kind of need here is to get that sentiment shifted to another side of this situation so that, here's the interesting thing, so that the bear market and recession can happen. And again, it's just that we, we saw this previously. You know, there was a lot of talk about a recession coming in 2007. And then the markets rallied and Ben Bernanke came out at that time, said, oh, we're in a Goldilocks economy. It's all fine. Everybody kind of got convinced that the recession risk was behind us. And then that's when the recession happened. And, and that's kind of what, you know, would be the process here. And again, you kind of need something to get a lot of this negative sentiment out of the markets. And that's and that's also how bear markets work. Bear markets are great about luring you back into the water and making you think, that, oh, the bear market's over, bull market's back, I need to be in here, I gotta go buy a lot of these junk stocks that were really beaten up, you know, because they're all gonna come back. That's what that's what bear markets do. They're, they're very good about luring you back in to give you one last mauling before it's all over. And, uh, but we'll talk some more about this this morning. Um, take a quick break. We'll come back. Got a few topics to get into. Don't go away. More of the Real Investment Show coming right up.
Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Hurricane season is here. And along the Texas Gulf Coast, we know how to prepare. What we don't always know is which way the storm will go and if a hurricane does come your way, whether your house will flood. Fortunately, you can get flood insurance. Unfortunately, flood insurance rates have skyrocketed. Don't be at risk. Let the specialists at RIA Insurance assess your needs and shop your coverage for the best rates possible. Another service from realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the insurance tab, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Back to the show this morning. <clears throat> so, number one question to hit my inbox over the last few days, of course, is you know how much higher can this rally go? As we were just talking about, you know, the issue with markets uh, this year been that these monster rallies, and we've seen several of these so far this year. Uh, this uh, this past week was one of the larger ones. Um, you know, fail. We have these big rallies, and it kind of gets people excited, and then the next week they just completely sell off. Now, this morning, futures are pointing higher, so hopefully we'll kind of get some follow-through from last week. And that, again, would not be surprising. Markets are still oversold here. Um, technical indicators are turning more positive on short-term buy signals, so suggest there's some upside. Now, we've seen these signals before, and markets didn't do a lot with them. Because as the market did start its rally, sellers started showing up and every, you know, every rally was kind of just met with more and more selling until finally the, the, the buying pressure just kind of ran out of gas. Kind of think about, you know, you've got, a, you know, we always use the car analogy with over, overbought, oversold. And when you're oversold, you've got a full tank of gas. And so, you know, as the, the market rallies, you drive until you run out of gas. And then that's, you know, kind of the way the markets work. Well, what we saw in the last rally like this was that the markets rallied off the bottom and then just kind of, you know, got stuck, kind of like the car was uh, chained to a big, you know, cement post. So you're sitting there revving the engine, not going anywhere. And markets just kind of ran out of gas, and then we fell down and tested new lows. And that's going to be one of the questions is that every time we have these rallies, these, you know, kind of sellers just show up in mass. Again, just individuals saying, hey, I'm glad to get a little bit of my money back. I'm, I'm getting out. Right. That's that's been the that's been the challenge. Now, at one point, don't know when and it could be this rally. We'll see. We're going to keep going up and the, the rally is going to gain more and more momentum as people get convinced that the correction is over and the bull market's kind of maybe coming back and then we'll all jump in. Now, as I've said before, one of the the concerning issues I guess I guess concerns the right word is that normally we don't see people wanting to just jump back into markets and in, in a bear market. So in other words, if this is a real bear market that we're in this year and things are as negative as sentiment suggests. I mean, take a look at all the sentiment indicators. They're they're basically at record lows. Consumer sentiment, investor sentiment, all pushing record lows. So everybody's very negative about markets, the economy, everything. 
Now, in a real bear market, people don't want to be buying equities and taking on investment risk in a real bear market, right? Because they don't want to lose money. It's all about loss aversion. But because of what we've done to markets over the last decade, because, you know, we got a BTFD, you know, by the freaking dip. And we've trained people by doing this. This is the Federal Reserve, right? That every time the market declined a little bit like it has now, the Federal Reserve shows up and starts says, hey, we're going to do QE and provide liquidity for markets. The markets run up. So, you know, if you think about Gen Zers as an example, those, these are individuals born between 1995 and 2005-ish, right? There's some, there's some disagreement about the, the actual age range of Gen Zers and Sometimes some say 1998 to 210, 2010, 1995 to 2005. Anyway, it's in that it's in that bracket. Here's the here's the important point about that. If you take a look at the ones that were born in 1995, right? They were basically 13 years old in the financial crisis. So the only the only relationship they have to a real bear market, you know, there, there were five during the dot com crisis is watching their parents go through the financial crisis. And if their parents weren't really invested in the financial markets, all they really know about the financial crisis is whether or not their parents lost their house. That's all they know. When they turned 18 and became of age to actually invest in the financial markets, well, this was in the beginning stages. Now now we're talking about 2013. They're just turning of age to open their own investment account, assuming they did that, you know, got on the Robinhood app or whatever at that time. And started, of course, Robinhood wasn't around back then, but, you know, whatever online trading platform that they chose, Schwab, Fidelity, whatever, E-Trade, and started trading stocks. If they were doing that in 2013, all they've known is a bull market where stocks just go up. And every time stocks go down a little bit, the Fed shows up and you buy the freaking dip and it's all good. They've never seen a bear market. And the reason I say that is, is that's that's part of the issue here is that people have been trained psychologically because of the Federal Reserve to assume that markets never go down. And that's kind of the, the interesting point about this particular correction in the markets. The reason I say it's a correction is really twofold. One, we haven't broken the bullish trend of the market from 2000, the 2009 loans to current. We haven't broken that bullish trend. So we're still a correction in a correction within a long-term bullish trend of the market, secular bull market intact. However, in a real bear market, people don't want to buy stocks. Now the most common question I'm getting in my inbox is, is this the rally to buy? Is this do we get back in? Is this where we this is where we start buying stocks, right? You don't see that type of attitude in a real bear market. In a real bear market, people are like, "Don't you dare buy equities." I can't afford to lose any money, etc. Right? And that's not the attitude that we see right now, which is also another indicator this is a correction, not a bear market yet. Corrections become bear markets. But right now, there's just too many people going, is this the bottom? Can I get back in? 
which tells you that there's that despite the negative sentiment, and that's also kind of an interesting kind of conundrum, right? Is despite the fact that you've got very negative sentiment, uh, individual investors are the most negative ever on the markets, according to surveys. Yet their allocation to equities has barely changed. It's still near record highs. So in other words, I'm terribly afraid of this bear market, but I don't want to miss out, so I'm not selling anything. That's also kind of another indication of kind of where we are in the cycle. We're not there yet. We haven't, we haven't created that real negative sentiment to where people are going, I just don't want to be in the markets anymore. That's, you've got to get there first. Now, you know, despite the fact that you've had crashing cryptocurrencies and, you know, crashing stock markets, et cetera, again, sentiment's very good. We had outflows uh, over the last nine weeks of about $16 billion. You've got roughly about a $30 billion rebalancing this week. So, again, huge, huge numbers of, of money just kind of flopping around this market in and out on a variety of issues. Now, kind of after this, you know, rally that we had last week, And again, noting that this is kind of the portfolio window dressing, rebalancing week. Again, there's there's potentially more upside. So there's 30 billion, as I said, in stock uh, stock and quarter end buying that has to be done. Now, this is according to Goldman Sachs. That was their estimate. And so a lot of the stats that we're going to see are going to kind of start seeing that push to put equities back on the books. As they get into window dressing, now we get into July, which is kind of part of the best two-week stretches. This end of the quarter, end of the second quarter, first week of July tends to be two, you know, two of the better weeks of market participation historically. And really even the first two weeks of July tend to be pretty strong. You tend to get a, a, a good bit of of money flows on the positive side in the first two weeks of July, and then you get into August and everybody goes on vacation. But, you know, this is all about history and seasonality. And, and the one thing that really hasn't worked well this year has been history and seasonality. A lot of, uh, you know, seasonal indicators, you know, the first six months of the, of the year tend to be the strongest for the NASDAQ. You know, uh, January through May tend to be the end of the seasonally strong period for stocks. And then your summer tend to be weaker. That hasn't happened this year. We've had a, a really rough start to, to the beginning of this year. In fact, it was one of the toughest starts to a new year going back to like 1928. So this has been, you know, a, a year where a lot of seasonality hasn't worked. And, and again, we kind of keep going, but we have to kind of keep going back to statistics and say, well, what, you know, how do money flows normally act within these given periods? And, you know, we've got this rally. We've got end of the quarter rebalancing. We've got the first two weeks of July tend to be positive. So how much further can this rally go? There's reason to think that we could get a bit more of a rally out of this. But again, that doesn't change the dynamic that we probably need to sell into the rally. You can take on some trading positions, something we'll, we'll probably be looking at as well. Take on some slight trading positions here. Uh, try to grab a little bit of the gain out of this rally sell those positions, raise cash once we start seeing signals turn back in the other direction. 
But again, you've got enough support here short term to get a little, put a little bit of money to work. I think you'll be okay. Um, but keep a very tight rein on it and watch technical indicators because the technical indicators have worked very well this year in keeping you out of trouble. You can take advantage of, of short-term rallies, but you've got to sell those rallies. Now, at some point, well, again, at some point, we'll have a rally that just keeps going. And we'll look back and say, yep, there was the bottom. And that's one of the benefits of always having a bit of an allocation towards equities, regardless of how tough the market is, because it gives you a base to build off of when you start working in hindsight, which you're going to have to do to successfully navigate the turn from the cycle that we're in now to the next bull market cycle when it occurs. But what's going to cause that? We'll talk about that after the break. advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com in 1999 a fiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients best interest these men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the houston energy corridor today still excoriated by their former employers they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. So welcome back to the show this morning. It's, of course, Monday as we get things up and running. Of course, it was another hot weekend yesterday or this weekend. Actually, not just yesterday. It was hot all weekend. <laughs> Especially running. It was fun. Both, every day I ran this weekend is like literally just as soon as you get out of the house, you start sweating. It just You are a glutton for punishment. No, I'm just old. So <laughs> it's one of those things, if you don't keep it up with it, it you just, lose it. it, you lose it yeah. very, it's, it's really not fair, right? It's not fair. You know, mm -hmm. you, it takes you a long time to get into shape and literally you just get out of shape by <laughs> like 15 minutes. If you yeah. stop doing anything, you're just, That's right. you know, out of shape. Again. You can no longer get up off the floor. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The floor is getting much further down. It is. You know, Every, I, every year, the floor gets further away. I don't know if I'm getting taller or, or just older. I've stopped so. picking stuff up. I drop it, it's staying there. <laughs> yeah. That's happened to me more than once. <laughs> more often than we care to admit. Exactly. Uh, you know, it's interesting. We were, um, well, we were, you know, every Friday I do a market recap with Adam Taggart, and we talk about, you know, the markets and what's going on. We post that, that recap on our website. So if you go to realinvestmentadvice.com, there is a weekly market recap that we do every Friday. Um, we post that Saturday morning for you. So it's just, you know, we, we kind of have, I have this discussion every week with Adam talking about markets, investing, strategy, you know, kind of all this. But we always have kind of a topic we go off on. Generally, it's a rant about something, right? He, he finds some topic that he knows will fire me up, and then we get into a big rant about this. But this past week, we talked about 
you know, the importance of health in retirement. And, you know, it's, you know, we're all running around right now trying to do the best we can in terms of saving money for retirement. Wow, I got to save money, got to make money in the markets, got to get ready for my retirement. If you take a look at the financial statistics of retirees, it's really dismal. Um, the vast majority of Americans have no savings for retirement. So, I mean, when I say vast majority, I'm talking more than 50% of Americans have little or no savings for retirement. The median retirement savings is roughly about $130,000, and that's not going to get you there. And if you take a look at averages, once you strip out the top 10% of income earners, it's below the average annual salary for one year. It's, it's, it's pretty bad. But, you know, we spend all this time, you know, trying to save for retirement and, you know, take care of our families and do all this type of stuff. And the one thing we don't do, and this is our conversation that we were having, was that we don't take time to take care of our health as well. We don't invest in our health. And we're going to wind up spending more than $250,000. In fact, some estimates are as high as $350,000 in retirement just on health care. And that doesn't really sound like a great way to spend your retirement funds. And also spending your retirement in and out of hospitals probably isn't a great thing either. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of inevitable that you're going to spend money on health care and, and, and retirement. But you can do things to help mitigate some of that financial risk as you get in retirement. And that's that was really kind of the, the crux of the conversation. And, you know, you know, like like Brent says, I'm a bit of a glutton for punishment, but that's just me. I kind of overdo everything one way or the other. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, you know, you're not talking about major things. And we talked about on the show before about you know, Keith Klein, who's a good friend of the show. And, you know, we've had a long relationship with Keith, but talking about making better bad choices, you know, just small things can make big differences in your life. Just make better choices in terms of eating, go out for a walk every day, you know, to spend 15 minutes with your wife walking around the block talking about their, your day and, and what's going on. Talk about the kids and what you got to do. But that 15 minutes, 20 minutes of a walk, A, get you outside, you know, get you out of the house a little bit, um, but also helps increase your health, right? Just small things. It doesn't have to be any anything grueling. Nobody, I hate, like I told Adam, I hate working out. It's, it's, it's the least enjoyable thing I do in my day. I do it every day, but, you know, it's the least enjoyable thing I do. I don't like to work out. My wife hates working out, but it's something that we try to do together as well um, because it's also how we spend some time together. So, again, it's just, you know, things to do that can help save you a lot of money in retirement. Again, these are, you know, when you take a look at the healthcare statistics in America, you know, we complain about high healthcare costs, right? It's like, oh, our healthcare system sucks. Well, it's partly your fault. You know, yeah, healthcare costs are, are high because you're applying demand to the system. You know, if you want, and we've talked about this before, and this was one of the fallacies of the Affordable Care Act and why we said when this law was first proposed back in 2008, we said this is neither going to be affordable or health care. And the reason is, is that, you know, we already have health care insurance available. And because we choose to have $25 copays, it drives up the cost everywhere else. And, yeah, you want these low-cost premiums, but then you want to run to the doctor every time you get the sniffles, 
right? And you don't, you, and, and we don't choose, you know, when you take a look at our eating statistics and that, you know, we're the most obese country in the, on, in the, on, on the planet. You know, the things that we consume here are not good for us. And then we wonder why we have these healthcare issues. And of course, the more healthcare issues you have, the higher your healthcare costs are going to be. There's a direct correlation <laughs> between what you do and choose to do and your ultimate health care, right? This is why companies are trying to encourage more and more employees to exercise, to eat right, you know, because they need to lower their health care costs. But you know, these are choices we make. And, and, and the point is, is that you don't want to spend your retirement, you know, in doctor's offices. That's not a vacation. You know, it's not where you want to be. And I thought this was, was interesting because there was an article out, a new study coming out from the University of Georgia. They found a whopping 75% of teens, teenagers, are not getting enough exercise. And this was a quote from their study. <clears throat> the length of recess, fiscal facilities, and social environments at schools have been found to affect fiscal activities among students. This was from the uh, lead study. They examined 362,926 students, 48% males, 52% females, from the Georgia Student Health Survey. And they revealed alarming inactivity among teens. The data included eight characteristics of climate, school connectedness, peer, uh, peer social support, adult social support, cultural acceptance, fiscal environment, school safety, peer victimization, bullying, and a school support environment. So they analyzed all these things and found that basically kids are not working out near enough. In fact, you know, our 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 younger generation is also some of the most overweight that we've had. Again, that obesity run is now running into the younger society. And, and it's not really surprising, right? Because what do kids do these days, right? They sit home, they play video games and social media and, you know, all these type of things. I mean, who wants to go out and play, right? <laughs> John on yeah. YouTube yes. says sitting is the new smoking. Sitting is the new smoking. It's he's, true. He's right. Um, we spend an abnormal amount of time watching TV, um, playing on phones, pads, those type of things, not, not exercising. But again, you, th you think about the differences in generations, right? Um, you know, we talk about when we were growing up, we ran around, we drank out of garden hoses. And, you know, the, the, you know you were, your parents basically kicked you out of the house. I mean, you got home from school and your parents were, get out of the house and come home where the streetlights come on. That was the whole thing, right? We're riding around on bikes and running around, playing games, whatever. Because that was the only form of entertainment. So there wasn't, you weren't able to sit around and watch TV. There were like four channels, <laughs> five, two, 11, 13, 26, and 39. If you live in Houston, that was it. All in black and white. All in black and white. I had a black and white television until I turned 18. I left for college and my dad bought a color TV. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he was saving money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> They just wanted to torture me. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, this, this is, you know, kind of changes in society, but this also leads, and then, and then we talk about, you know, the, the problems with child health care. And, and, you know, when we were growing up, we didn't seem to have all these, you know, allergic issues, you know, peanut allergies and gluten allergies and all these other kind of 
things that we've got going on. And, and now we've got all these different variations of, of issues that children now have. It's like, oh, my kid has a peanut allergy and my kid has a gluten problem. My kid has this problem and my kid has, you know, this problem. And, you know, we've just got a lot of problems. Maybe, maybe back in the day, we just, we didn't have social media. So we didn't know that all these people had problems, but they existed. I don't know. Maybe that was the case. All I know is, is that if you had attention deficit disorder when you were growing up, it was a smack upside the head with the Houston Chronicle and it solves your attention deficit disorder. Every so, time. So not sure what changed, but anyway, something changed. But the point is about all this is that, you know, we're making decisions that not only have an impact on our health, but also our kids' health. And again, when we talk about saving money, getting ready for retirement and, and these type of issues, we're setting ourselves up, and this was the point of the conversation that I was having with Adam, is that we're setting ourselves up for re for failure in retirement because all that money that we were banking on to pay our bills and travel and play some more golf and spend some more time with our spouses and loved ones is going to be spent at the hospital. And that's not really the way you want to spend retirement. And it's not too late, right? It's not too late. You can start today and start investing in a better retirement by just getting up off the couch and taking a walk. All right. Be back. Wrap up the show. Talk a little bit about this market rally. Uh, I got sidetracked. We'll come back. <laughs> we'll go back. Talk about bear market rallies. Is this another one or is this where it changes? Talk about that. We'll come back from the break. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Hurricane season is here. And along the Texas Gulf Coast, we know how to prepare. What we don't always know is which way the storm will go and if a hurricane does come your way, whether your house will flood. Fortunately, you can get flood insurance. Unfortunately, flood insurance rates have skyrocketed. Don't be at risk. Let the specialists at RIA Insurance assess your needs and shop your coverage for the best rates possible. Another service from realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the insurance tab, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. So I do like how uh, how stocks you know shrugged off the hawkish comments from uh, Fed uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell. Now remember we talked about last week. Uh, Jerome Powell was in front of both Congress and Senate, basically discussing monetary policy actions to the people that are in charge of our financial and banking committees. And what was most disturbing about those comments was not what Jerome Powell was say, saying, but the statements that were coming from our congressmen and senators, which showed just how little economic understanding they actually have in terms of basic economics and how markets function. And that's scary because these are the people in charge of, for instance, on the Senate side, our Senate banking committee, right? You know, these are the people in charge of the banking system and they have no understanding of how banking actually works, much less how the economy works. And 
again, you know, one of the things that, and I discussed this with Adam on Friday as well, is that, you know, maybe this was, you know, political kabuki theater, and they were just trying to make political noise, right? Showing that they have support for their political party or affiliation one way or the other, or they're just really economically illiterate. One of the two, both are scary. Um, but nonetheless, markets kind of shrugged off a lot of the more hawkish commentary that came from Jerome Powell, who said, look, they're committed to fighting inflation. They're going to hike rates until inflation comes down. That was basically his message. However, we got some inflation data on Friday morning that helped markets, showing that there was a slight downtick in inflation expectations in the University of Michigan uh, Consumer Sentiment Indexes. In other words, consumers expect inflation to fall over the next 5 to 10 years. It went from 5.3 to 5.1. Now, that's not a lot. <laughs> and that's a very long range, right? They're, they're saying, what do you think inflation will be in 5 years or 10 years? Well, I think it'll come down a little bit, right? But that's what got the market all excited. But, again, markets did well following that kind of announcement. Uh, Mohamed El-Arian had talked, uh, was on the media on Friday talking about that he thinks it's uncomfortably possible that the Fed is going to slam on the brakes and push us into a recession. And again, we talked about the fact that everybody thinks it's inevitable right now, which means that it's probably not. You know, there's only three things that are inevitable, death, taxes, and Thanos. And outside of that, you know, everything's got a possibility of change. So while everybody's convinced we're going to have a recession, it's possible we might avoid one. I'm not saying we can. I'm just saying you have to always factor in into your analysis possibilities. If you're if you are 100 percent certain that whatever you're doing financially is going to work. You need to sell everything and go to cash. You should never be 100% certain. You should always leave room to possibilities of being wrong. And then in the case you're wrong, what are you going to do to change it? So you always keep that function in the back of your head. Never be 100% certain about anything. Because that's where you wind up losing a lot of money, one way or the other. So the, the reality is, is that we've hit a short-term bottom in the markets. Okay, not going to argue that at all. Again, as we started out the show talking about, $30 billion in rebalancing for this quarter, come this week. Got to wrap up the quarter. First two weeks of July tend to historically be fairly strong. So, you know, there's a reasonable expectation markets have hit a short-term bottom. But given the fact the Fed is hiking rates, the fact the Fed is tightening their balance sheet, and that just started in June, mind you, right? The the balance sheet reductions just started in June. By the way, let me let me clarify something for you really quick. I got an email over the weekend talking about, you know, the Fed taper and that the Fed's tapering their balance sheet. But yet, if you take a look at their balance sheet, it's not going down. So obviously they're lying. No, that's not the case. The way the Fed balance sheet taper works is they are doing, they were doing $120 billion a month in QE purchases. So they've rolled off their purchases, right? They've wound those down, so they're not purchasing anything. And now what they're going to do is start reducing their balance sheet, 
In June, it was $60 billion. In July, August, it's going to ramp up to $90 billion a, a, a month. So every month, they're going to roll off $90 billion worth of, of bond purchases. Now, that doesn't mean the balance sheet's going to, to necessarily decline at that rate because when you take a look at a lot of the holdings in their portfolios, remember, a lot of these bonds were bought five, seven, ten years ago, and they're still, in the, they're still in the books, and there's a lot that they were buying recently that were very short-duration bonds, one, two, three years. So every month, bonds are maturing on their balance sheet. And so let's say that the balance sheet is just round numbers, $9 trillion, it's less, but let's use $9 trillion. It's $9 trillion. And this month, they've got $70 billion worth of bonds that are maturing. Right, but they're only going to taper sixty billion. So they're going to let sixty billion roll off, but they're going to buy ten billion dollars worth of bonds because all they want is a taper of sixty billion. So it doesn't necessarily mean the actual size of the balance sheet is going to be dropping that markedly, or that Fed purchases are going to go to zero. It's going to depend on the rate of roll off that occurs in in their portfolios. So they're going to taper their balance sheet by this roll-off measure. And so if the number of bonds that are maturing in a given month exceed the amount that they want to have roll off, then they're going to be purchasing those those different bonds. Okay. So that's again, it's just, you know, there's some math behind their balance sheet that's not as clear as it would seem. But nonetheless, the point is that the support for the financial markets in terms of both zero interest rates and, of course, the amount of liquidity support being put in by the Fed buying bonds is going away. And that is going to weigh on stocks, at least in the near term. Now, does that mean stocks have to necessarily go down? No, but it's certainly going to make it more difficult for them to go up. And that's you know, why in, in a lot of this, and again, when we talk about, you know, a short-term bottom, you know, uh, a rally, those type of things, we're talking about very short-term events, one week, two weeks, three weeks, not three or four months. And, you know, we're still probably, you know, mired in bear market rallies, at least for now. And, and, and when will that change? Well, unfortunately, we won't know until we can see it in hindsight, which is why trying to be all out of the market is difficult, because by the time you realize that you need to get back in, then you're going to start making all the same psychological mistakes of, well, if I get in now, I'm going to be paying too, too much for it, and I'll wait for a pullback, and the market doesn't pull back, and it keeps going up. And you're like, well, okay, I'll wait for the next pullback. And you just make all these you make all these bad emotional decisions and you just don't get in. So this is why, you know, we always have a base allocation to equities that we can build off of as the market begins to turn. But what you need to be looking for is you need to say, okay, you need to start seeing that the Fed is starting to signal that it's inclined to start stopping the rate hikes, potentially even starting to cut rates. You know, you need to start to see a decline in inflation. You just need to start seeing some disinflationary pressures. And you need to start seeing them talk about, you know, stopping their balance sheet roll-off. So once you kind of start to see those things starting to be talked about, you're probably getting fairly close to a market bottom. Now, 
most likely by the time we get to that point, you're not going to want to buy stocks. But that'll be that'll be the point. You may be early, right? But when you start hearing this conversation, that's where you want to start looking to put some money to work. Now, having said that, I'm not the only one saying this. Everybody's saying this, right? Because we've been trained for a decade now that whatever the Fed does, right, don't fight the Fed. Everybody's looking for this, which means that markets will probably start sniffing it out before we actually get the conversation from the Fed. We'll start to see markets rally in anticipation that they're looking at this economic data, right? They're seeing unemployment go up. They're starting to see, you know, inflation come down. And they're going to go, this is the environment to where the Fed's going to have to stop hiking rates. They're going to have to start reducing, uh, increasing their balance sheet. And so the markets will start to sniff that out early. So we're going to have to look at our longer-term indicators. And when those start to switch from sell signals that they're on now on both a monthly and a weekly basis, and those start to improve back towards weekly and monthly buy signals, it may not feel good, but that's going to be the point that you're going to have to start putting capital back to work. Because by the time the Fed starts to actually talk about it in this market, markets have already likely sniffed out a bottom. But again, that's going to be that's going to be the challenge. And again, you're probably going to be early, and you're going to have to suffer some of the bruises of being in the markets a bit early. But it'll likely pay for itself over time. But again, even let's let's assume that you just wait, right? You just wait. It's okay too. Right. Markets bottom. They start to go up. And once we get this behind us, we'll have a fairly long runway of a bullish advance in front of us. We've needed a good bear market rinsing for a long time now. And so once we get through this rinse cycle, we'll get back into a fairly long runway of just where we can just kind of buy stocks and hold them for a while. And so even if you do miss the bottom, it's OK. Right. You may miss five or 10 percent of the next advance before you get back in. That's OK, too. Because there'll be plenty of advance to follow after that. So don't get too wound up in it. Just pay attention to your money, your health. Start a little bit of work on both of those. And uh, you'll have a much better runway down the road. I'm Real Science Roberts wrapping up for today. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our newsletter is out from this weekend talking about rising recession signs. That's on the website now. Our latest blog post is out as well talking about the, the myth of buy and hold and holding. Uh, that's on the website, along with our Market Weekly uh, recap with Adam Taggart. It's on the website as well. It's all there for you. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Stick around. We'll have three minutes of markets money coming up in just a few minutes. It's a rich man's world.